Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Black Relations. I'm your host, Dr. Francesca Fajimi. If you've ever had any dealings with Blacks, you have a Black matter, so this is for you. Together, let's begin to shape and reimagine our Black relations. Whether you are Black, white, or brown, trust me, you will learn, gain, and execute just by listening. Come along. Our guest is Caroline Manyapie. She's based in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. She manages the regional customer relationship for fine hygienic holdings. She said she's in the business of making customers smile. Customer experience mixed with innovation makes a recipe full of success. Her expertise is in implementing marketing strategies, brand positioning, and managing multi-million rand SAP projects. Caroline also speaks Afrikaans and Zulu. So Caroline, welcome to Reimagining Black Relations. Thank you very much, Francesca. It's very nice being here. So firstly, how do you say hello in Afrikaan? You just say huhandet or you say hello. We normally say hello and then huhandet. Huhandet. Uh, yeah, huhandet. So it sounds very similar to German. Got it. Huhandet. Okay. Yeah. Now I spoke Afrikaan. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You did good. Thank you. So, Caroline, you'll have to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you were born and where you grew up. I was born and raised in South Africa. My first time leaving South Africa, I was 16 when I finished my grade 12 on a scholarship to go to New York, um, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, But most of my life I've spent um, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, Um, I've recently relocated to Dubai with my two boys, and we are absolutely loving it. Um, The relocation has been absolutely fantastic for my children. My older boy actually became the first Black and first South African head boy of his school, um, which I'm extremely proud of. So that's me in a nutshell. Oh, that is awesome. That is great. How old are your boys? My oldest son, Zach, is 19 and Zion is 10. That's awesome. That's great. Good job to them and to you too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Caroline, obviously, indigenous Black African experience is very different from those in the diaspora, especially knowing that you've lived in New York and uh, other places outside uh, Africa. Knowing that many of the African countries went through colonization under you know, whether it's British, French, Spanish, what have you. What is your thought about the residue of colonialism in Africa as it is today? You know, colonialism, I've got mixed feelings about it. Uh, Firstly, I think it was great for the countries that went through it because it helped with the economy and um, it helped diversify um, the countries quite a bit. But, um, you know, in terms of the residue, it's still there. I mean, we as South Africans, we were not colonized by any outside country, but, you know, we went through a phase where um, the white people were the majority rulers and um, and most of the opportunities went to them. You know, we still, we still till today see a lot of the leftovers of that 
there's still quite a lot of struggle. There's still a little bit of racism. Actually, there's still a lot of racism. I'm tempted to say a little bit of racism, but it's still there. But overall, I think it was quite good, the, the transition. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, let me ask you, are you part of the bond-free generation in South Africa or you were just before then? I can't remember the yeah. time frame. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. I'm very old for that. Um, my son actually was making fun of me the other day. I was filling out a form and I wrote 42 and he's like, mom, you're not 42, you're 43. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so no, I'm not part of the born free generations. My kids are. So I was born, you know, in the midst of, of apartheid in, in South Africa. Um, one of my, my friends actually reminded me today um, that this year, on the 27th of April, which is the South African Freedom Day, we'll be celebrating 27 years of freedom. So it's absolutely fantastic. You know, just uh, talking about, about Freedom Day and freedom, you know, it, it, it brought quite a lot of memories and quite a lot of, you know, both good and bad, uh, quite a lot of things for me to reminisce about and talk to my boys about. Um, one of the things that, that Freedom Day reminds me of, I mean, that's when Nelson Mandela was elected as president. Um, it was the first time the black people were allowed to actually vote. And it was such a critical time in, in, in South Africa. And at that time, I was in grade 10. I remember a lot of Americans and people from all over the world uh, coming to the school because during that time, that's when it was like, okay, Nelson Mandela is coming out of jail because there had been talks of, uh, and he's he's campaigning to become president. And since we allow black people to, to vote, it looks very much like he will be the president of the country. And that was the same time when white schools started allowing black children uh, in. And I was one of the first black kids to go to um, to a, a mixed school. Lots of fun times, lots of fun days. Um, and that's actually how I got the, the scholarship to go study at Columbia. I was in the prefects team and I was uh, the, the head girl. And naturally all these uh, people that are coming uh, from all over the world, you know, they came through to the school and they wanted to see this first black head girl of the school uh, and there I was, you know, and they were asking me, you know, so where are you going to study afterwards? And and I, I actually told them, you know, I said, you know, since for the last five years, and I mean, this is at the age, at a very young age. And for five years, I had been working at the spa. It's a supermarket on a till. So immediately after school, I'd go, for, I'd go to work. And then after that, I'd walk home to the townships. But um, yeah, so I told them, no, well, you know, I live in Alexandra, which is one of the townships and my parents are not well off. So I think when I finish matric, grade 12, uh, when I finish grade 12, I will um, continue working at the spa because I couldn't see beyond that. And they made me fill out forms. Uh, you know, they had one of my favorite teachers, Mrs. Fremantle. She was amazing. She was the nicest to all the black kids. So we all loved her. Um, she helped me complete these forms that these people were making me complete. Little did I know that uh, there were scholarships. A few months down the line, she calls me into her office and she says, wow, we received a response. You're going to New York. I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I went over to New York, studied child psychology, because in my mind, when, when they were making me complete these forms, I was thinking, you know, what is the one thing I'm very passionate about? I am passionate about children 
and I would like to save the children of the world in my mind. Um, I, I, I had a very rough upbringing, very, very rough upbringing, um, and, and I wanted to save the children. So I thought, oh, child psychology, okay, let me do that. <laughs> let me do that. And that's where I went. And I went and I studied that for the three years, and then I had to do a one-year internship. So I chose a home, a children's home in Missouri. So I went to Missouri to go spend a year there in the children's home. Francesca, I think I cried myself to sleep almost every single night working in that home. Um, it was just so heartbreaking dealing with the children um, and, and experiencing what they're going through. Um, and, and, you know, America is very strict, you know, with, with kids. If a kid is being abused or anything, they take them, they put them in the home. Abandoned kids uh, put them in the home. Um, so it was, it was very difficult for me. Um, and then after that, I thought, you know what, I'm actually not going to continue with this because this is not what I want to do. Um, so I decided to go back to South Africa. Um, so I got my degree. I went back to South Africa. I didn't further the degree to get the PhD uh, because I knew I just really didn't want to, to practice. So um, I went back home. And unfortunately, the, the experience of having been in the U.S. and having experienced how Black people lived in the U.S., turned me into more of a rebellious person in South Africa. So it was just, it was just insane. So instead of it maybe making me a little bit racist, it didn't. I ended up actually uh, dating a white German guy. Um, we got engaged. He's actually Zach's father. And we, it was, it was me and Andreas against the world. You know, he had the same views on, on, on racism and, and this um, oppression and all of those things. So we met, we were like-minded and we thought we, it's us against the world. We used to have dirty looks when we were working on the streets, we didn't care. Uh, he would swear back at people if they swore at us because it was still there, it was still very fresh. Um, even though we were a democracy, you know, it wasn't, it, racism didn't just end just like that. Yeah, so we got engaged, his family was completely against the relationship, which was, which was very sad. Eventually, when they actually said to him, it's either her or us, we disown you, you know, then he gave in and it was like, okay, cool, I, I can't. And, and unfortunately at that time, Zach was like a year old. So it was really tough. Uh, they, it, was, it was very tough and very sad that the, the parents actually made him do that. I mean, till today, we, we hardly talk, but when we do talk, you know, he keeps referring back to how he was so happy then and how resentful he still is to date to his family. And, and he always apologizes. And, you know, he apologizes to Zach also. And it's like, you know, it is what it is. You made your decision. It was a tough decision. I mean, it hurt very badly because there I was, this young black girl with a mixed baby going back to live in the townships at my mom's house. You know, people were looking at me and, you know, the, the black people were saying, oh, yeah, that one is a traitor. You know, you know, when we go to the shops with Zach, the, the white people would be like, OK, like, why is that one's eyes like that or his skin like that? The whole experience made me tough. And, you know, now I'm here. 
Now I'm here in Dubai and the dynamics are different. The dynamics are completely different. So I moved here, transferred from the South African office to this office simply because I thought I was dying. I had a very bad case of lupus and I was going through chemo. So I was like, oh my gosh, I am dying. Um, I always, you know, my boys have always traveled. They've traveled to almost every single country in the world with me, but they'd never had the experience of living in a different country and experienced in different cultures. So I remember one morning going into my director's office and I said, okay, and he, was, he looked at me, he's like, Carolyn, what are you doing here? You, you don't look well. Didn't you have your chemo session today? And I was like, yes, I did. And I really think I'm dying. Um, so I would like for you to transfer me, please. He was like, what? He thought I was going crazy. Um, and I explained to him that, you know, one of the things that I really wanted was to give my kids uh, a gift of being able to live in a different world uh, different country, um, experiencing different things. And, and, and while I'm still alive, I would like to be that support for them because I don't want them to now be like me when I was 16, going to New York and having to figure everything out myself with no real support. I want to be there to support them. I probably have like a year, two years to live. <laughs> it was bad. And I thought it was just crazy. Um, anyway, uh, I'm still here, thank God. Uh, I'm getting stronger and better, thank God. Um, but um, so that's how I moved to to Dubai. And when I got here, the the challenge was not that I was black. The challenge was that I was a woman. And my direct boss, I was a woman that was moved from one office at at director level and moved into this office, my direct boss thought that, oh my gosh, they moved this woman so that she can replace me because everything happened above me. <sighs> you know, as much as I tried to sit him down and explain to him that, listen, this is my situation. Every other day I'm at Alzara Hospital booked into hospital. I've literally got videos of my children doing homework in a hospital room. I don't want your job. That's not why I'm here. You know, uh, but he, he didn't understand that. He resented the fact that everything went over and above his head. So when it came time to um, chop heads, because the region was not doing that good, sadly, I was on the chopping block. I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to toughen up. I'm going to make this work. We're going to stay here and we're going to make this work. And the biggest driver of that decision was the fact that my son was the head boy of the school, you know, and I could see how my children were thriving, like thriving. They absolutely love Dubai. I'm the one that's struggling with Dubai. I still don't have friends. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's just me and like one or two colleagues. They're just thriving. I mean, Zach now has been recognized. There's the Black Award Excellence that happens in the UAE, in the Gulf region. And he's been nominated under the youth for a black leadership uh, award. Like what? There's absolutely no ways that my son would have received such opportunities when he was in South Africa. You know, so both my boys are very confident, very, I mean, you must see the 10 year old, you know, very confident, very sure in who they are. My 10 year old in the summer. So he's, he's, he's done very well with Arabic. Like I'm still struggling with Arabic. Like he's done very well. He even knows how to write it. 
how to read and everything. So he's like, okay, mommy. So in the summer, I'm thinking I'm, I want to uh, start making money and contribute to the house. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, make flyers around the building. Cause so we live in a community, it's called town square, but it's like a, like a little mini community with a lot of uh, clusters and stuff. It's really, really nice. Um, but um, so he says, I'm going to make these flyers and I'm going to give them to all the parents and I'm going to say, send your children to me so I can teach them Arabic. And I'm going to charge them a hundred dirhams uh, for every lesson. I was like, oh, wow. But you, but, you, but you see, for me as a mom, that's the type of mentality that I want my children to have. You know, I grew up in the days where it was like, Carolyn, you are black, you're a woman, you're not going to amount to much. Just get married and have children, stay home, be in the township. You probably work as a maid. You know, my grandmother worked as a maid. You know, my mom worked as a maid. So I'm now, it's like, okay, there's not going to be any restrictions whatsoever for my children. Your story and life journey to this point is quite amazing. And uh, what you went through from going to New York, coming back with the experiences you had and your relationship and just what you experienced with your community, right? I mean, you're back home and you went through these experiences and uh, even with health challenges uh, in the midst of it all and uh, raising such fantastic creatures, right? Your your two boys, it's uh, it's pretty powerful. So let me ask you, Caroline, how are you doing now, health-wise? Yes, I'm doing so much better. The health facilities or the health opportunities that I have here at my fingertips are very good. So it, it was also quite a blessing in disguise maybe that I left South Africa because here we've got doctors from all over the world uh, that are specialized, you know, so I go for my treatments and, and I'm getting so much better. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you making good progress and I truly hope it continues to get better. So, you know, you spoke on something that was actually interesting, the dichotomy between your gender and also your race. When you got to Dubai, it was a gender issue. Back home, it was a racial issue. So are you saying that now in Dubai, there is no, you don't have any issue in terms of racial discrimination? Is it mostly gender related? I definitely don't see it in Dubai. I know for a fact, you know, the crown prince, whom I absolutely love. My boys say I've got a crush on him, but let it be. His his name is Fares. He's phenomenal. And he, he absolutely loves Black people. And the way he speaks about being Black is quite interesting. You know, I follow him a lot and I read his articles. Um, you know, when it comes to racism here, Um, I think there's zero tolerance for it. And like, I can literally, if someone makes a racist remark, I can literally phone the police and say, oh, someone called me this word uh, or someone treated me like this because of the color of my skin and the cops will come and there will be consequences. It's phenomenal. 
That's really great to know. I'm I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, the world it will always have something that they're struggling with. And I understand the gender issue. There's no perfect world or perfect scenario anywhere. But it's good to know that at least you don't have to worry about the sexism aspect and also the race aspect and who knows what else. So mm-hmm. let me ask you, in your opinion, now you've lived on this side of the world in the U.S. and then you've been in Africa and some part of uh, UAE is part of the Middle East, right? Correct, yes. Okay. So what is your perception in general, collectively, uh, your perception of how the mainstream media or mainstream actually sees uh, Black people? Of late, I mean, before, in the past, the Martin Luther days, um, you know, for for the U.S. part, the U.S. had its own problems. You know, it was very similar to South Africa, not as bad as South Africa, but it was very similar to South Africa in terms of Black people wanting to be heard and saying, we are here, we are human beings, you treat us as such. In South Africa, we, you know, it was bad until 1994, things started getting better. In in South Africa, there's actually regulations that are put in place by the government. They're called uh, broad-based Black economic empowerment legislation that is mandated for every single company to abide by. And that includes things like black women in high positions, in leadership positions. So they actually stipulate how many black people, uh, black women need to be in leadership positions, how many black people in general needs to be in senior management positions. So it was like, we're going to force this into organizations. We don't care where the company is coming from. It can be a US-based company. It can be your IBMs, your Oracles, your T-Systems. We don't care. When you come and operate in our country, these are the rules that you that you have to abide by. It's working. It really is working. If you look at the number of female leaders in South Africa, it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. You know, that's really interesting because even in the U.S., and I don't have the stats of head, but many of the organizations, whether it's at the middle level or the uh, upper uh, middle level, you have a lot of Black women leading in the forefront, entrepreneurship, just various opportunities that they're creating and being very open and having dialogues and discussions about how to promote uh, Black excellence and just elevating and amplifying the, the voices of Black people in general. Then that tells me that on one hand, you would think, what you describe in South Africa, which is almost like affirmative action on, on yeah. in the U.S., you will say, okay, maybe you're just making the numbers. I need to have 10 people here. They may not necessarily be qualified, but I just need to have them there. But I'm suspecting that they are actually very qualified. What's your thoughts about that? Oh, yes, definitely. They're, they're very qualified. I mean, when, when this whole regulations got put in place in South Africa, the white people were completely against it. And, um, and they were saying, no, but these people are not qualified. They'll never be able to fulfill these roles. And then the, the legislation came back and said, it's your job to make sure you upskill. If they need to have a certain qualifications, make sure they get those qualifications and make sure they can do the job. So upskilling is, is, is critical. 
And now in the recent years, when it first started, it was the hope of the, the people that were opposed to it to actually make sure that it doesn't work. So they would just put anybody, just anyone. If you're Black, oh, great, come be a director. And yet this person doesn't even know how to read because they've never gone to school. Um, and then they would go back and report back and say, no, but, you know, we said we must put a Black person there. We put a Black person. They can't do anything. You know, they can't read. They can't do all of those things. But now, as, as South Africa has matured and Black people have been allowed to study, I mean, there was universities that were not even allowing Black people in. You know, now it's like, wow. Like, I, I follow quite a lot of Black entrepreneurs and Black leaders in South Africa. And if you see what they're doing, it's absolutely incredible. I totally agree with you. But I want to take you to the response you gave me when I asked about the... Uh, your thoughts about colonization. And I I heard what you said, but I want you to uh, help me get there because it sounded to me like you had, you said you had mixed feelings about, you know, colonization of uh, Africa, Black people in Africa. Can you elaborate more on uh, what that mixed feelings is and why you think there is, you know, you see the benefit to colonization? So, so in South Africa, we didn't go through colonization, but I know a lot of our, our sister countries did, right? Um, most of the other African countries did. I think the good part was that it was good for, for the economy. So if you look at, I don't know, like Cote d'Ivoire, right, with the French, um, it was good for the country and for the economy, Um the black people were then forced to maybe not so much speak their native languages. Um, they all had to learn French and speak French and, um, uh, and, and, and basically live the French way. I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to, for me to speak on this subject because I don't have first-hand experience. Um, because like I said, in South Africa, we didn't go through this. Um, but yeah, I, I don't honestly see how uh, some of the cut, uh, the other African countries would have um, been where they are if it wasn't maybe for the Germans coming in or the French coming in. Yeah, and that's the little um, you know aspect of it that I want to touch on very briefly. Obviously, um, you know this is just your perception based on what what you what you've heard or seen. But, you know, prior to the colonies actually coming to Africa, you know, if you look at it as a continent by itself, um, you know, Africa, Africans, Blacks, you know, they, they're writing, they, they're forming new languages, they're doing math, they're doing all these high-level um, processes that require high level of creativity and thinking. And, you know, with the, with the visit of the colonies, what happened appeared to be they were stripped of those things, all the excellence of Black people, what they developed, um, were taken. And um, the colonists took credit for many of those things. That's, that's what we're reading about, that they took credit for those things. When you think about the economy, they've, been, they've, they've had great uh, business um, economic empowerment going on across the region. In fact, Mansa Musa was the very first millionaire in the world, and he was from Mali. 
So this was all before the colonists got there. So that's why I was trying to get a little bit more from you while you said uh, they developed the region. I mean, um, when you think about the languages, one of the challenges that we have now is that in Africa, many, many Black countries in Africa wants to operate speaking uh, the Western languages to the detriment or, or abandonment of their local languages which is not the best, right? It's almost dropping your identity, your culture, and all those things that makes you who you are. You're literally dropping those to become something else. Um, so I, I I, mean, I kind of, you know, I, I, have, um, I have a little bit of reservation about that. Maybe it's because of some of the research uh, that I did. I did uh, a few researches on the subject and spoke with a number of people on the subject and, you know, I'm at this point where I'm seeing that, um, you know, Blacks have actually contributed a lot significantly. It doesn't matter whether you go to Britain or in the U.S. The White House was built by Black people. It was Black excellence, Black creativity, Black innovation. And if they don't have those things, then they will not be able to do all these things they're doing out here. And I always tell myself, I said, just look at the United States of America with the oppression, with the disenfranchisement they've gone through. And many Black people are still where they are today, thriving, contributing, and uh, making a difference, entertainment, sports, everything. There's something there, right? There's something in green there. That's kind of my thoughts, you know, when when I heard you know, your response. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you're saying that, you remind me of one thing I always uh say to my boys, and and one thing I always say to everybody that I've mentored. I've got this view, it could be very wrong. I'm sure it is, I don't know, but um I've got this view and this perception that we are the most oppressed simply because we are so powerful and simply because they know our power. They know our power. Even if sometimes we don't see our power, they see it and they know it. Why would you just oppress something that you're not threatened by? Why would you be mean to something that you're not threatened by? There has to be something, you know, and that's why um, in James' interview, the last podcast with James, I was like, I screamed when when he described Jesus as a black man because that's exactly how I say to my boys, they've got their dreadlocks and they are chocolate and they are beautiful. And I say, you are the spitting image of Jesus Christ. That's it. What you what you're talking about now with the colonization and us actually being sustainable or being able to be sustainable even before we were colonized, we can. There's so much power that we have. There's so much natural power that we have and natural intelligence that we have. Yeah, and I think it behooves the world to recognize that because all we're talking about is solutions to the issues faced by Black people. And those solutions, like in the United States, when you lift, when Blacks are lifted, everybody gets lifted. Do you know why? Because Blacks are at the bottom, they are at the base of the pyramid. So when the base is lifted up, everyone above the base gets lifted. Mm-hmm. So, so when you really think about it, what we're saying is that let's lift humanity up. Let's lift everybody up. When Blacks thrive, 
everybody thrives. You know, let me ask you, is there anything you would like to say about overcoming systemic challenges that Black people are experiencing? And is there anything Black people needs to do? Everybody has their part to contribute. So what's your thoughts about that? By nature, Black people are humble, especially from the African continent, right? You know, we we don't really like conflict. And if someone is saying this thing needs to be done like this, like that, we respectfully do it like that we follow. But we mustn't be shy to shine. We mustn't be shy to be confident. And we mustn't be shy to speak. Like, I can't wait for T.D. Jake's book, Don't Let the Mic Drop, because I can already see exactly what the book is about. And we need to be confident in our skin color. We need to we need to shine. Because we are Black, we need to even shine brighter. My kids, I always go back to my kids, and I always talk about the people that I mentor and that I've mentored in the past. Confidence is key. Confidence is so key. You can still, you can still be confident and be humble. Humility does not fade away if you're confident. And, and I think there's still that amount of fear that was instilled in us. There's still quite a lot of fear, but if we can get over the fear or get through the fear or find coping mechanisms, we must just do it. The people that I mentor, I always ask them, okay, so what, what did you do? You know, there's, a, there's a, a young lady that I'm mentoring till today in South Africa. I don't know anything about finance, but she's in finance, right? And, and she wants to become the financial director of, of a big multinational company for, for the South African office. Um, when she tells me what's what's happening, because we have our weekly chats, um, when she tells me what's happening in the organization and how she feels like she's being sidelined, yes, she got the promotion to be senior manager, but her goal is to become the director of, of finance. And she tells me what happened. And I said, I say to her, I always ask her, what did you do? You know, when this happened in the boardroom, what did you do? Obviously, in a respectful way, but did you do something or did you just sit back and just let everything happen around you? Because if you sit back and you let everything happen around you, then people are going to be making decisions on your behalf because they think, oh, you know what? She doesn't have a voice. So we can just decide if today we decide, yes, she's a senior financial manager today. But if we decide we want to throw her in sales, we'll do that because she doesn't speak up. I think let's be confident in our abilities. Let's enhance our skill wherever we can. Um, you know, if we can't afford university or anything, there's so many great programs that happen on LinkedIn. Let's find ways to learn. Let's find mentors. Let's mentor each other. Um, and let's let's really, let's find time for, for, for each other. I think the story or the message there is we should not be limited, right? We should focus on what is controllable by us, not expecting others to make things happen for us. Caroline, is there anything you'd like to share that I've not asked you? I just pray that every single Black person that's out there, whatever they're dreaming of, whatever they're imagining, if you can imagine it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And they must just go for it. Mm-hmm. Don't be scared and reach out to people. You know, you'll be surprised the number of people that are willing to help whether it be mentorship, coaching, introducing you to contacts, you know, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Just go for it. Try it out. If it fails, it fails, but you've tried it out. If you don't try it out, you never know. 
I love it. I love it. How do you say thank you in Zulu? Yabonga. 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 Yabonga, Caroline. You're welcome. I really appreciate you sharing this journey with us today. And I'm so pleased you, you were able to be my guest. I know we had time differences, but somehow we were able to work it out. So Yabonga. Yeah, you're most welcome. Thank you so much, Francesca. And sorry, I was like a little bit nervous in the beginning, but... Oh, no, no, you <laughs> weren't. You were absolutely uh, spot on. Everything flowed the way it should. And to everyone out there, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe on yourblackmatters.com. Also, if you have any feedback, please email me at Francesca at yourblackmatters.com. Caroline Yabonga for your contribution to the history we are making. I'm really excited to be a part of it. And may God bless you and your family. Thank you so much, Francesca. God bless you. Amen. And to all our listeners, may God bless you as well. And may the Lord bless the United States of America and South Africa and United Arab Emirates. See you next time.